Welcome to the GDPR Weekly Show, one of the top five GDPR podcasts worldwide. Here is what's coming up in this week's episode. Welcome to episode 114 of the GDPR Weekly Show. And coming up in this week's episode, we have details of the release of data requirements for COVID-19 testing processes, which have been released by the government. And we also take a look at remote employee monitoring with more and more people now having their staff working from home. Obviously, there's a wish sometimes to monitor what your employees are doing to make sure that they're doing what they should be doing when they're working for you. And so we look at remote employee monitoring and some notes of caution that you should bear in mind before you implement any such solution. We then leave Trial ID 19 and have news of a data breach at Foxton's estate agents in London. And we then cross to Northern Ireland, where there's news of a data breach at Stormont. Remaining in Ireland, but travelling to the south of Ireland, we look at a legal battle in the Republic on whether GDPR trumps the Mother and Baby Homes Act 2004 as to whether survivors of those homes have the right to access personal information about them that's held within the files of the investigation into the children's homes, or whether the Act overrides GDPR and removes that right of access from those individuals. Remaining with the DPC in Ireland, we also look at their investigation of and access to children's information on both Facebook and Instagram. We then return to the UK where the chemicals giant Pfizer has suffered a major data breach and then to the City of London where there's been a data breach at Digital Wealth Manager Scalable. Remaining in the City of London, we have news that the Financial Conduct Authority, the FCA, has itself been taken to the Complaints Commissioner over a data breach last year. We then travel to New Zealand, where the New Zealand Privacy Commissioner has introduced a new data breach reporting tool just ahead of the implementation of the latest privacy laws in New Zealand, which will bring the laws in New Zealand very closely in line with GDPR. And then finally this week, we travel to Japan, where a Japanese COVID-19 vaccine producer has been targeted in a ransomware attack. So as always, a mixed bundle of articles for you. We hope you find the articles useful and informative. And as always, we look forward to receiving any feedback from you. If you have any feedback for us, please send it to feedback at gdprweeklyshow.com. We do read every single piece of feedback we receive, and wherever possible, we incorporate your suggestions into future episodes of the show. Unfortunately, we don't always have time to reply to feedback individually. Stay in. Stay safe. We begin this week with news that the UK government has published guidance on the minimum standards for private sector providers of COVID-19 testing. To request to be added to the initiative list of providers on gov.uk, providers must declare that they meet these minimum standards by completing a form online, as well as providing some additional information to support government due diligence checks. The government envisages that UKS accreditation will become a minimum standard for all private sector providers of COVID-19 testing at a future stage and is planned to be established by September 2021. Perhaps what's interesting though is what little personal data they are collecting from these COVID-19 testing suppliers because having requested a copy of their privacy policy which as you would expect is fully GDPR compliant nonetheless it does say that the only personal data they will be holding about the COVID-19 testing providers is their organisation's clinical or medical director's name, position in company, email, telephone and relevant clinical regulatory body or council registration number, 
Then they also want details of the person employed with the oversight responsibilities as a regulated health care scientist who is registered with the Health and Care Professions Council. And for them, they want their name, position in company, email, telephone and Health and Care Professions Council registration number. And then for the person who will be submitting the declaration on behalf of the organisation, their name, their position in company, their phone number and their email address. And that's it. That's all of the personal information that they are requesting from people or organisations who wish to become 12ID19 testing facilities. The data will be held by the UK Department of Health and Social Care, who acts as the data controller, and the personal data will be processed by Social Optic Limited, who provide website, web form and data storage services to the Department of Health and Social Care. In terms of retention, they say they will only keep the information for as long as necessary, but they don't actually state a time limit on that. And they also say that all the data will be processed in the UK and will not be transferred outside the EEA, the European Economic Area. They also say that the department for this purpose does not engage in any profiling or any processing related to automated decision-making activity. And interestingly as well, their legal basis that they're claiming to be able to use this data under GDPR is perhaps not surprisingly GDPR Article 61E, processing is necessary for the performance of a task carried out in the public interest or in the exercise of official authority vested in the controller. If we get any further updates on how the privacy protection is going to work amongst these 12ID19 testing organisations, we will of course bring it to you in a future episode of the GDPR Weekly Show. The serious nature of COVID-19 and how it affects your life. One of the things that the COVID-19 pandemic has brought about, of course, is an awful lot more home working. And a number of you have contacted our help desk asking for advice on what you can do or allowed to do in terms of monitoring what your employees are doing whilst they're working at home when they should be working on your work. Are they perhaps instead browsing Facebook, doing an online shopping on Amazon or whatever? Now, if we take a broad brush approach, we'd say that overall, all the feedback we've seen is that productivity from employees who are working at home has not significantly changed from productivity when they were working in the office. So we wouldn't get overhung up on the idea of being able to check what your employees are doing anyway. But of course there are some sectors where it's important for you to know what they're doing, particularly in the financial services industries, for example, or any other accounting function. And it's important to take a look at this because a recent survey conducted by the British Council for Offices found that once it's safe to do so, only 30% of UK employees plan to return to the office five days a week. So let's look at where we are. GDPR requires that employees' personal data be handled in a lawful, fair and transparent way. In practice, that means that those financial services firms looking to introduce monitoring tools will need at the outset to identify a lawful basis on which to process the personal data collected through those tools and communicate that, along with details of the monitoring its purpose, to the staff in an updated staff privacy notice. Now, for a lot of employers, the relevant lawful basis is probably just simply going to be legitimate interests. The specific legitimate interest will need to be stated in an updated privacy notice circulated to staff and balanced against the staff's individual rights to freedoms. This balancing exercise should be undertaken before implementing any monitoring technology using a data processing impact assessment. This is a process designed to assess whether the proposed monitoring is necessary and proportionate, taking into account employees' reasonable privacy expectations and when they would consider that excessive. So, you know, really put yourself in your employees' shoes and think, if I knew this was going to be monitored this way, would I think that's fair or is that really a bit big brother? 
Do bear in mind that software that records keystrokes and mouse movements are likely to fall foul with GDPR, especially if they're used for automated decision-making or profiling, for example, basing performance bonuses on who's logged in at certain times. What you certainly should never do is be tempted to use an employee's webcam for continuous audio and video monitoring of their home. If you do choose to implement any monitoring tools, then you'll need to ensure that only a limited number of your staff are trained in data protection compliance should handle the personal data that's been collected through those tools. The data should not be used for any other purpose unless it uncovers criminal activity or something else that an employer could reasonably be expected not to ignore. Another reason to limit employee monitoring to that which is proportionate is that excessive surveillance could also breach the duty of trust and confidence implied in every employment relationship. There are, however, some grounds where a greater level of monitoring might be considered lawful. A couple of instances are where firms suspect that an employee is preparing to compete with the business or is preparing to disclose confidential information to an outside third party. But before you implement any monitoring, as I say, do carry out a data protection impact assessment. And as always, if you need help with that, then please do just contact us at helpdesk at gdprweeklyshow.com and one of our specialists will be delighted to provide you with some assistance. Because the consequences of getting staff monitoring wrong can be severe. Consider, for instance, if an employee leaves and then claims constructive dismissal. Or in addition, he leaves, claims constructive dismissal, and then also reports you to the ICO for breaching GDPR. All which I would suggest, probably, you really want to avoid. So do think carefully before you introduce any employee monitoring. And now, the rest of this week's news. Major London estate agent Foxtons is alleged by the I newspaper to have suffered a malware attack and data breach which closed its My Foxtons client website. The I newspaper claims that the agency, one of a number of companies to suffer a data breach earlier this month, did not inform customers whose data had been accessible. Foxtons has reportedly told the Information Commissioner's Office and the National Cyber Crime Agency. However, in a statement, Foxtons said, Foxtons has been subject to a limited malware virus on a small part of the business. It appears that many other businesses and organisations have been affected and this was not a targeted action on Foxtons. We had effective systems in place and took quick action to contain the incident and minimise the disruption to our customers. Current investigations reveal no sensitive data has been compromised. The Iron newspaper said that some customers have expressed anger at Foxtons' failure to inform them of the breach and said Foxtons has instead told them its systems were undergoing an upgrade. One customer said, I'm concerned whether the data has been stolen. It's scandalous that it was a hack and they just kept quiet about it. The newspaper says that in 2013, Foxtons was forced to investigate whether hackers had stolen details of almost 10,000 sellers, buyers, landlords and renters following an anonymous leak on its website. If we do get any more information on this, either from Foxtons or from the ICO, we will of course bring it to you in a future episode of the GDPR Weekly Show. As we go to broadcast, we're receiving news that in Northern Ireland, the Department for Communities is investigating a data breach after an email containing private information was accidentally circulated. It's understood that the list of names and addresses concerned with a local government pension scheme was sent to the newspaper and other email addresses on Tuesday this week. Public information such as constituency addresses of a number of local MPs was on the list, but the addresses of a number of private individuals were also included. We've contacted the Northern Ireland Department of Communities for a statement, but we've had no update as we go to broadcast. If we receive an update before next week's episode of the show, we will, of course, bring you an update then. What's up, Isabella? I'm fed up. I wish I had a new job. Have you tried Jubal? Jubal.org. We help people find jobs. Great! 
Great! I will try it now. To the Republic of Ireland now, and the Department of Children has released a statement responding to concerns raised by the Data Protection Commissioner, DPC, which is the Republic of Ireland equivalent to RICO, about the application of a right to personal data within a 2004 Act on the Commission into Mother and Baby Homes. In a statement released on Friday evening, the Department said, The legal advice received by the Department is that GDPR right to access personal data, Article 15, is expressly prohibited by Section 39 of the Commissions of Investigations Act 2004. Minister for Children, Roderick O'Dorman, said that the Attorney-General and the DPC have maintained ongoing communications about both the 2004 Act and the Government's Mother and Baby Homes Bill. O'Dorman and the Attorney-General have asserted that the Government is legally obliged to seal the database compiled by the Commission for 30 years under the 2004 Act, which would mean that survivors and families would not have access to their own data until 2034. But the Irish Examiner revealed tonight that the Data Protection Commissioner disagrees with the view put forward by the Department regarding the 2004 Act and how GDPR applies to it. It said that GDPR, the law introduced in May 2018, explicitly amended the 2004 Commissions of Investigation Act so that any restriction on the right to access personal data processed by the Commission can only be implemented to the extent necessary and proportionate to safeguard the effective operation of Commissions and the future cooperation of witnesses. The DPC's intervention came as O'Dorman was addressing the Senate earlier. He said he would engage further with the Attorney-General on the matter. Senators quizzed him on the revelation before passing the Government's Mother and Baby Homes Bill by 22 votes to 16. Earlier, O'Dorman said he deeply regretted causing anxiety amongst mothers and baby home survivors. Last night, the dial passed a controversial bill by 78 votes to 67 that allows for the transfer of a database of 60,000 records created by the Commissioner of Investigation into mother and baby homes to TUSLA, the Child and Family Agency. Many survivors and legal experts have expressed anger at the bill. Opposition members said the legislation was being pushed through without proper scrutiny and none of their amendments were accepted during an emotional debate yesterday. O'Dorman has defended the legislation but said he regrets poorly communicating what it's intended to do. Speaking on RTE's Morning Ireland today, O'Gorman said, I needed to do a better job of communicating what the government is doing and engaging with survivors groups. And I know a lot of anxiety has been caused. I certainly deeply regret that my failure to communicate properly has caused that anxiety. O'Dorman said people have conflated the legislation with the 2004 Act under which the Commission operated. He said the latter requires that records be sealed for 30 years. When asked whether GDPR superseded this legislation, O'Dorman said that when the regulations were introduced in Ireland in 2018, the 2004 Act was, and I quote, was amended to explicitly exclude GDPR from applying to the Commission's archives, end of quote. Now this assertion has been disputed by legal experts, and certainly it would be our belief that neither the Commission nor the Government is permitted under GDPR to place a blanket seal over an entire archive that it holds unless it can prove really strong public interest reasons why that data should not be released if members of the public who are subject to that data make requests to see the records held on them. Jennifer Whitmore, the Social Democrat spokesperson on children, said, It is not an issue of bad communication, the issue is bad legislation. There was no proper consultation with survivors and this has ended up curbing their rights to access information. This whole ordeal has caused so much needless anxiety to survivors when the state should have used this opportunity to reassert their rights to access their personal information. Whitmore said it was a genuine effort by all members of the opposition to provide solutions that would prevent the records being sealed for the next three decades. 
It's hard to believe that in this day and age we continue to make the same mistakes, continue to try to silence those that the state has treated so badly and continue to brush our past under the carpet, she said. For his part, O'Dorman acknowledged that current tracing legislation is inadequate and has committed to bringing in new information and tracing legislation next year. It's understood that the Commission's report, due to be sent to O'Dorman next week, is some 4,000 pages long. The Minister said the report will need to be reviewed by both his department and the Attorney-General before it can be published. He said he could not give a definitive timeline for making it available, but he wants this to happen as quickly as possible, saying survivors have waited long enough. The TAN project, comprising the Justice for Magdalene's research group and the Adoption Rights Alliance, said in a previous statement that the scene in the archive means no one will be able to access their personal records or information about their disappeared relatives or babies who are buried in unmarked graves. All the administrative files which show how the abusive system of forced family separation was run will also be withheld. It will not be possible to question the conclusions of the Commission of Investigation to do further research or to hold wrongdoers to account. Remaining in the Republic of Ireland, the DPC has announced that it started its investigation into Instagram over its handling of the personal data of underage users. The probe follows reports that Instagram failed to safeguard the personal information of children who use the platform with allegations that it's enabled the phone numbers and email addresses of these users to be made public. The DPC will examine whether Facebook has any legal access for gathering the personal data of users under the age of 18 and whether it's sufficient age restrictions and protective measures for children on sister platform Instagram. At the same time, the regulator has also launched an inquiry into whether Instagram's account settings comply with GDPR and is examining Facebook's current practices surrounding the safeguarding of children's data. The investigation has begun after a complaint made by US-based data scientist David Steyer. Based on analysis of nearly 200,000 Instagram profiles from across the globe, Steyer estimated that the option to switch their personal account to a business account, which requires the owner's phone number and email address to be publicly displayed, was made easily available to at least 60 million underage users. This information was also included in HTML source code of web pages accessed when using the platform via desktop, making it available for scraping by bad actors. Facebook has since removed contact information from Instagram page source code. Facebook maintains that the publication of personal details on Instagram business accounts is very different to exposing people's information. However, the company has said that it is working with the DPC on their investigation. This investigation is likely to run on for some months, and so we will bring you periodic updates on this in future episodes of the GDPR Weekly Show. Help! I love this show, but I've got GDPR questions and don't know what to do. It's simple. Just follow the instructions coming up, and the guys at GDPR Weekly Show will help within 24 hours. All you need to do is email helpdesk at gdprweeklyshow.com with the details of your GDPR issue and one of our specialists will get straight back to you. Wicked! Thanks, Mike! Global pharmaceutical giant Pfizer has suffered a huge data breach with patient information found exposed on unsecured cloud storage. The exposed data was found on a misconfigured Google Cloud storage bucket. The data included hundreds of conversations between Pfizer's automatic customer support software and people using its prescription pharmaceutical drugs, including Lyrica, Shantitz, Viagra, and cancer treatments, Ibrance and Aromacin. Along with confidential medical information, the transcripts included full names, home addresses, and email addresses, all of which could be used by hackers to target patients with highly effective phishing campaigns. This is the latest example of cloud storage being a source of 
data breaches and perhaps indicates that it is very important when you are storing data in a cloud that you do ensure it's adequately secured and not available to bad actors to access. Pfizer say that they are currently investigating this data breach and will be issuing a statement shortly. As soon as we receive a statement, we will of course bring it to you in the next available episode of the GDPR Show. On Monday evening this week, Digital Wealth Manager Scalable notified customers of a large data breach. In a message to its customers, Scalable said, Scalable Capital has taken all necessary security measures and informed relevant supervisory authorities. Your assets held in safe custody in the custodian bank were not at risk at any stage. The confidentiality of your password for the customer area is also still secure. While the situation is developing, Scalable said that a subset of documents stored in its digital document archive was breached, including personal and contact details, data relating to the investment account, such as bank account, portfolio reports, security transaction statements and invoices, and tax data, such as national insurance numbers. We would like to emphasise that your assets held in custody with the custodian bank were at no time at risk as a result of the incident, Scalable said. A spokesperson for Scalable said, We are keeping our clients updated and they remain our top priority. Yesterday, the firm also offered customers 12 months of free credit and web monitoring services provided by Experian to bolster protection of the misuse of their personal data. Again, it's very early in this investigation, but we will keep a close eye on it for you and bring you updates when available. 365 days of reliable and objective news. Staying in the City of London and the Financial Conduct Authority has escaped a compensation payout in a claim brought by a customer whose details were released as part of a data breach at the regulator last year. In the decision published this month, the Complaints Commissioner sided with the City Watchdog against the complainant who attempted to claim compensation for the distress of the data breach at the FCA in November 2019. The incident saw the regulator mistakenly publish on its website the details of individuals who have made a complaint to the FCA between January 2018 and July 2019. In some instances, these confidential details included names, addresses, telephone numbers and also the nature of the person's complaint. The FCA admitted the data breach in February this year and confirmed it had referred itself to the ICO over the incident. In the complaint, which was escalated to the Complaints Commissioner, the consumer claimed that as a result of the breach they had since received scam emails and phone calls. Whilst Commissioner Anthony Townsend agreed the data breach was clearly very regrettable, he said the FCA had since put in place additional safeguards to prevent a recurrence. He said, I agree with the FCA that the information about you which was disclosed was very limited. It was your forename and surname plus a very general description of your complaint which gave no personal details. There is no evidence that information has been misused. Mr Townsend said the FCA's apology for the data breach and the way in which the consumer's complaint had been handled was sufficient without any monetary compensation, although it had been delayed. The Watchdog has been keen to emphasise the importance of data sharing and privacy rules in recent years, teaming up with the ICO and the Financial Services Compensation Scheme in February to warn authorised firms of the importance of protecting clients' data. The move saw the FCA ready itself for a fresh crackdown on the industry as it warned some authorised firms and insolvency practitioners had attempted to unlawfully sell client data to claim management companies. To New Zealand now, and the New Zealand Privacy Commissioner has launched a new tool to help organisations based in New Zealand determine whether a data breach needs to be reported or not. The tool, called Notify Us, will enable data handlers to check whether it's mandatory to report a breach under the new rules. It was launched ahead of New Zealand's new Privacy Bill, which comes into force on December 1st, 2020. The Privacy Breach Act rules that an organisation must notify authorities of any data breach that is deemed to cause serious harm. Serious harm is defined as the unauthorised sharing of people's information, including sensitive personal details. 
any business or organisation that fails to report a serious data breach could be fined up to $10,000 New Zealand dollars. New Zealand's Privacy Breach Act, which was passed in June 2020, is a long-awaited amendment to the Privacy Act 1993 and brings the Privacy Act in New Zealand closer in line with GDPR. It also places limitations on the cross-border transfer of data overseas. The move comes a year after New Zealand pledged to improve its cybersecurity with a tax injection of $5 million New Zealand dollars. Stay in. Stay safe. And so finally this week to Japan, where Japanese pharmaceutical firm Shinigi and Co. said on Thursday that its Taiwanese subsidiary had been hit by a cyber attack earlier this month leading to a data breach and though no information regarding the coronavirus vaccine that it's currently developing was leaked. According to the company, import licenses for medical equipment and employee residency permits, it, permits were released on the dark web after a computer in its Taipei sales office was infected with a virus in mid-October this year. The attacker was threatened to release more information unless a ransom is paid. Shinogi said there had been no indication of unauthorised access among its computers at laboratories and offices within Japan itself. While clinical trials are carried out in Taiwan, the local subsidiary does not deal with matters involving cutting-edge technology or personal information, it said. Japan has not been immune from a spate of cyber attacks targeting research institutions developing coronavirus vaccines worldwide. A US information security firm said on Monday that some Japanese research institutions involved in coronavirus vaccine projects had experienced attempted cyber attacks since April. Based on the techniques employed, there was firm evidence that a Chinese hacker group is behind the attacks. Attacks using ransomware, a type of malware that threatens to publish victims' data unless money is paid, has been on the rise in Japan. Naboa Mia, president of the information security firm S&J Corp in Tokyo, warned that information about a vaccine is appealing for criminals after money. So that brings us to the end of this week's episode of the GDPR Weekly Show. I hope you found it useful. I hope you found it entertaining. Please do let me know. Let me have your feedback by sending an email to podcast.insurity.co.uk. You can find out more about us at Insurity at www.insurity.co.uk. And I look forward to speaking to you again, same time, same place, next week. Have a good week, everybody, and remember to keep your data safe. And cut. That's a wrap. The GDPR Weekly Show is an insurity production. Follow us on Facebook at www.facebook.com slash insurity.